Afternoon. Good evening. This is Dove Tusman, and you're back on equal footing. We like to tie in the show to sometimes to my own personal travels. I'm for the new year, for the Jewish New Year, for the Yom Tovs in France, and have had a home in the south of France for many years. It's about 15 years, and over the years have observed the. Uh, waxing and waning, really waning and waxing, I should say the other way around, of tensions in the Jewish-Muslim uh, communities in France. Since 2014, France has become the largest target of uh, Muslim terrorism in the Western world. been over 300 deaths. This is since the Islamic State set up this so-called caliphate in Syria and Iraq, and since the Gaza Wars uh, kind of reignited, and whereas you know nine eleven, uh, which of course changed everything in this sense, is um, well over over twenty years ago now, and the complex backstory of Jewish Muslim relations in uh, France has fascinated me. It's uh, it's not what you expect, and as often on this program, we try to. Dig in behind, beyond the headlines. You know, a lot of us as Jewish listeners, of course, we're on a Jewish network, but not all of our listeners are Jewish. You, you, but many of us in the community are aware of our brethren in France leaving for Israel and to the U.S. feeling insecurities at home. And anti-Semitism has been on the rise in France for many years, as has Islamophobia. And I think we have a narrative around that that ties into just a reflection of the Arab-Israeli conflict in Israel and how that is reflected within the large Muslim and Jewish communities in France. But is that it? Let's dig in. We have a wonderful guest. You know, it's hard to find. There are only a couple of real experts in the world from an academic perspective on uh, Muslim and Jewish relations in France. And we have, I would say, the premier expert in this area on the line with us here for the show. This is Professor Ethan Katz. Professor Katz is a professor of history and Jewish studies at, at uh, the University of California, Berkeley. He's also the co-founder and co-director of the Anti-Semitism Education Initiative. Apropos to tonight's program, he's the author of several books, including The Burdens of Brotherhood, Jews and Muslims from North Africa to France. This book was a winner. It was published by Harvard University Press some years ago. It was a winner of five prizes, including a National Jewish Book Award. He's also published Colonialism and the Jews, which was a finalist for the National Jewish Book Award. Uh, his most recent, yeah, The Burdens of Brotherhood, the, the book that's, that really gets to tonight's program, traced the entangled and disparate paths of Jews and Muslims in France since World War I. Their kind of triangular relationship with one another and the French state and the notions of what it means to actually be French. And the book has become the basis for a major exhibition that will be open next year at Paris's National Museum for the History of Immigration. Professor Katz has spent extensive time living and researching abroad, of course, in France and also in Israel. He's a frequent speaker and teacher in university and community settings in North America, Europe, and Israel. Professor Katz, welcome to Equal Footing. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. So, Professor Katz, the 
I think let's start with some of the numbers because you know we're used most of our listeners not all we have listeners that are listening in very early hours of the morning live or on in podcast format in, in Europe and Israel but we're more familiar with the fact there are about six million Jews in the United States about you know, three million Muslims in the U.S. This represents about you know. So close to 2% of the population in the United States for the Jewish community and about half that, about 1% for the Muslim community in the United States. What do those numbers look like in France? Right. So the numbers look rather different in France. And I think as we talk about comparison, we'll see that there are some important consequences in terms of the differences in the numbers. Um, it, France remains uh, the second largest diaspora Jewish community in the world. Um, and, you know, b- by a bunch. Uh, so there's still probably about 600,000 Jews, give or take, in France. Uh, and the estimates of the Muslim population, they vary tremendously. But I, I think that the best estimates are somewhere between four and six million. Part of the challenge in France, and it relates to some of the issues we'll talk about in the program, I'm sure, is that France has very strict policies against asking about religion or ethnicity in their census, and they have had those policies for decades. Uh, and so that makes it tougher for demographers to estimate either the Jewish or the Muslim population in France. And what about the socioeconomics? It, it, I was fascinated to learn in some of the pregame research, Professor Katz, that in the United States, a like number of different uh, cohorts within the Asian community, uh, Muslim Americans, uh, first generation, meaning Im- immigrant Muslim Americans actually have a higher um, income level than natural-born Americans. So these are immigrants that in many respects are thriving and succeeding in this environment in the U.S. How does that relate to France for both groups? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, France is just a very different story. It's a very different history in terms of how Muslims got there. Um, but the socioeconomic comparison for Muslims and Jews, the differences are much that they're, that they're, that those differences, as you, as you told your listeners, I'm really an expert on Muslims and Jews in France. So I will just say, you know, once up front here, the disclaimer that, um, my knowledge of the U.S. is, is spottier. Uh, but to the degree that there's a fair amount of, um, equanimity between uh, Muslim and Jewish immigrants in the United States in terms of significant success stories. Uh, and they're all, they're very frequently wrapped up in the larger kind of success story of American migrants from many parts of the globe. In France, that's very different. Uh, you cannot separate the history of Muslims in France from the history of French colonialism. Right. Uh, for many decades, basically all of the Muslims who lived in France, basically from the early 20th century when they started to come in significant numbers around World War I uh, until the end of the French colonies, uh, especially in Algeria in the 1960s. During that time, you had male, you know, predominantly male colonial laborers. You had people uh, coming to do work, uh, you know, and, and they could rotate back to North Africa. They often came and rotated back over periods of 20 years, and a few of them, small uh, portion of them brought their families. But these are people in menial labor jobs, in mines, in factories. Um, so with tremendously low socioeconomic uh, upward mobility, whereas the Jewish immigrants uh, who came to France, in addition to the native population, had a much you know, more kind of viable path during most times to uh, you know, upward mobility, uh, like other, you know, predominantly European immigrants, uh, in France. So 
Jewish Americans, Muslim Americans have relatively similar uh, income levels. Uh, I don't want to stretch that further. Neither of us is an expert on those sociodemographic issues in the United sure. States. But you, I think you correctly say that there's not only a narrative, but a reality of uh, upward social mobility, socioeconomic mobility in the United States and kind of the sky's the limit. It's more of a meritocratic society. How true that is, story for another day, but that's <laughs> certainly part of kind of our our the, the part of our national narrative. Now, in in France, is these communities are, are the Muslim communities in particularly largely marginalized without that type of um, upward socioeconomic mobility. What about what what about the ways the community looks? I mean, in, in where they're coming from, because in the United States, a vast majority of the Jewish population is Ashkenaz, um, not Sephardic. And for those listeners don't know the different Ashkenazi Jews originally from Eastern Europe tend to be lighter skin. And most Jewish people you come into contact with in the United States are going to be Ashkenazi. I happen to be a mix, but, um, other, but in, in, in France, it's not the case, right? It's, 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 it's flipped. Most, most of the Jewish community are Sephardic. Well, yeah, and it's changed dramatically in the course of the last century. Uh, you know, a century ago, there, uh, were about, you know, 200 to 250,000 Jews overall in France, and maybe 20,000 of them were, uh, Sephardic. Uh, maybe twenty twenty five thousand. Um, but what happened during during the same period when Muslims were coming to France in growing numbers uh, from their colonies and then their former colonies, uh, you had Jews leaving, especially places like Algeria, Tunisia, and Morocco and North Africa uh, that had been French possessions and coming to France in significant numbers, as well as from places like Egypt. And so by the late 1960s, you were moving toward a 70% uh, factor of the French Jewish community being of a Sephardi, or what we sometimes call Mizrahi uh, descent, right, uh, from these uh, Arab-speaking lands, predominantly from the former French colonies. This is also where the vast, vast majority of the French Muslim population came from for a very long time. So one of the interesting dynamics there is you had a lot of people with some commonalities in their cultural background, and for a period, they settled in some of the same immigrant neighborhoods, right? right? Um, right. It's a very different in that way also uh, from the United States in terms of, um, you know, both for, both for possibilities and for tensions. Right. I, I mean, obviously, New York and L.A. have significant communities, uh, both Muslim and Jewish communities, uh, but you've got this big Muslim community in in. In Detroit, for example, in Metro Detroit, a lot of Jewish community in uh, in, in Florida. It's a very different situation. There's also isn't as much intermingling. One of the interesting things in your in your book was really getting down to the the micro level. These interviews with uh, people that have been for sometimes a generation in neighborhoods where you had North African uh, Muslims and uh, in terms of their the original kind of national and ethnic heritage, North African Muslims and Jews living side by side in particular neighborhoods for generations. Yes, right. I mean, uh, and, and that's partly, I, I mean, I think there are a variety of reasons for that. Um, one of them is that when the North African uh, Jews were first coming, there were very few North African Jews and North African, you know, and, and there were smaller numbers of North African Muslims. So they found sort of the culture that they were missing with each other oftentimes in terms of common music and common foods and uh, language. Um, and you had these kind of North African hubs that developed in certain neighborhoods, and that was a huge cultural factor for both populations. But it's also the case that, I mean, France is roughly 
physically the size of the state of Texas, okay? Mm-hmm. So it's not a small country, but when we compare, you know, and, and but, it, but it has a you know, much larger population than the state of Texas. It's, you know, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of you know, 60 to 70 million. Um, that's been a pretty stable population uh, over the past century. So it's just there's much greater density of population in many places in France. There are fewer places to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's sort of funny and basic as that sounds, there's this vast expanse in the United States where groups that want to kind of be on their own and be away from other groups, they're able to do that to a significant extent. Before we go to our first break, and, and I'm going to tease at at, at, uh, at this ex- a little uh, an, an anecdote in your book that I found fascinating. This a, a card game and how one card game affects Jewish Muslim relations in France in such a fundamental level. It's a tease for listeners to come back after the break. But I want to also um, give a, a help listeners understand a little bit of the arc of, of immigration because immigration is such a hot topic right now in the news with red states busing uh, immigrants, illegal immigrants to the blue states, etc. A topic for another show. But after 1924, when the U.S. significantly restricts immigration, France becomes the most kind of open border country in the world in terms of foreign population growth. And I, I didn't realize that coming into the social. So you have a, a flood of foreign immigrants coming into France pre-World War II in particular and also post-World War II. And many of them, most of them, in fact, are Muslim and Jewish. Yeah, a huge portion of them are, are Muslim and Jewish. I mean, and uh, you know, Jews seek asylum in France in the 1930s in very large numbers from Eastern Europe, uh, from Russia, from Germany eventually. Uh, this provokes tremendous uh, hostility and xenophobia from certain quarters in France, but nonetheless, uh, it remains you know, a major destination and, and one of the places that has its doors most open. Uh, and in the 1950s, uh, it is the only state, aside from Israel, that has no quota uh, in terms of the number of Jews that it's letting in from North Africa uh, at that time. Uh, and, of course, Muslims are coming as colonial migrants, as I said, as colonial workers. Uh, and then even after independence in the 60s, they're still coming with you know much more kind of restricted status as rotational workers for a long time. So the, the migrations are not parallel. Um, and the case of of the colonial migration, I think it's just also important to understand most of these people came from Algeria, a place that France had tried very hard to really make French for 130 years with a huge French settler population with most of Algeria's population centers annexed to France, not just like a colony. So France has this super fraught relationship to Algeria and an eight-year brutal civil war uh, in the 50s and early 60s. And so the the status legally and the image, uh, you know, culturally of Algerian Muslims, most of the Muslims in France for a very long time, is inseparable from how fraught this space is for the French people. And it's made their integration much more challenging. Yeah, there's so many interesting pockets. This story we teased at the card game. We're definitely going to get to the role of Algeria. It's critical uh, in this story after the break. Uh, also, as a little side note, I wish we could go down this rabbit hole. Not sure we'll have time in this show, but when you have the Israeli War of Independence in 1948, interesting, interestingly, in, in the, there are battalions that are both Muslim and Jewish battalions, many people don't know, uh, fighting against the British uh, in the 30s and 40s. But you actually have the port of Mar- Marseille being a port of embarkation for arms and munition, even, and even um, 
uh, fighters to go to the war in support of independence against the British throne, kind of in, as part of this centuries-long um, animus between the uh, British and, and French um, empire. So it's all sorts of little interesting uh, pockets of this story. We'll be right after. We'll be back right after the break, talking about Israel, Jewish and Muslim relations in France. Perhaps one of the, the most uh, areas of most tension in that regard in the world right now. With Professor Ethan Katz from University of Berkeley, who's the uh, University of California, Berkeley, the author of The Burdens of Brotherhood: Jews and Muslims from North Africa to France. The number to call because we're live and ask Professor Katz question, make a comment on this issue is 718-303-9090. That's to be live on the air. 718-303-9090. You don't have to say your name if you're shy. You can also, if you're even more shy, text a comment or question via SMS or WhatsApp to 917-428-4062. That's to text, comment or question. Don't call that number. 917-428-4062. We'll be right back. The great French Algerian singer Khaled, not to be mixed up with DJ Khaled, the original, the OG Khaled. Okay, DocuVax has been a sponsor for Equal Footing for a long time. We love to talk about them. Sign up. It's a very easy digital locker for your medical data. Keep all your immunization records, your lab results, even your X-rays, MRIs, etc. in one easy-to-access location where you can safely store your medical data and get it validated by doctors and nurses to make getting special appointments, specialist appointments, cheaper. It's called DocuVax, D-O-C-U-V-A-X. You can download the DocuVax app on your Android or iPhone, uh, iOS device. You can also go to DocuVax.com. DocuVax covers over 60 different important elements of your medical profile, from flu and tetanus vaccines to colorectal and breast cancer screenings, blood types, allergies, etc. It's just $6.99 per month. For an entire year subscription of DocuVax, you can, it would be saved just by one specialist reference. You don't have to go through your, your GP to see a specialist that you want to. So sign up for DocuVax. As a DocuVax subscriber, you have these medical professionals on call for you 24 hours a day, 365 days a year to validate your vaccine records, explain a test result, or go through anything else in your locker. And your medical data is never accessible to anybody but you as the individual subscriber, and you can share it with a venue or a school uh, or a doctor or an insurance company using a proprietary QR code-based system, and the app keeps your data secure at all times. So put an end to worrying if you or someone you care about is up to date on a particular vaccine, blood test, or an important preventative screening. Take control of your medical file, sign up at DocuVax.com, or download the DocuVax app on your smartphone. If you want a group discount, if you're a small business owner or a school, you want to give DocuVax subscriptions as a benefit, you can call and do so if you mention that you heard about it on Equal Footing. Call 833-859-1933. 
to get a group discount for DocuVax. That's 833-859-1933. I've been All right, we called tonight's program in the social media blast, I Hate You, I Love You, because <laughs> it's like there's this love-hate relationship. Uh, one could argue in Jewish-Muslim relations going back many centuries and in French context, Jewish-Muslim relations in particular. But Professor Katz, you're, you, you've kind of broken ground in this area because the, the received wisdom in the academic world has kind of been that Jewish-Muslim relations, I'm, I know, I'm being reductionist here, but Jewish-Muslim relations in France mirror uh, Arab-Israeli conflict issues in historical Palestine slash Israel, and they just get reflected onto the European country with the largest Jewish and Muslim populations, which is France. You, your book gives a lot more of a nuanced story that this ties into the history of immigration and colonialism and Algeria. Tell us about why Algeria is important in the story. Right. So, yeah, I mean, Algeria, you know, when we're writing books, uh, a lot of times we don't exactly know when we start where we're going to go. And I couldn't have imagined how much I would end up learning about Algeria or how important it would be. People often ask me, you know, oh, the uh, context of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, that must be the driver uh, in your story. And I say, actually, there's this other place that you might not know about, uh, also on the other side of the Mediterranean, uh, which is more important, and that's Algeria. So Algeria was a French colony from 1830 to 1962. That's a very long time. But as I said in the earlier segment, not really just a colony, because by the late 19th century, you have all the major population centers in Algeria have been annexed to France proper. Uh, and by the time that the revolution, the war for independence breaks out there in 1954, you've got over a million uh, settlers, uh, European settlers in Algeria, uh, about 7 million Muslims. So it's a significant uh, part of the population. Uh, and it's a place that the French keep promising this is really France and we're going to make it equal for everybody, but they never do. But what they do do is in 1870, for complicated reasons we can get into later if you want, they do make basically all of the Jews there full French citizens without doing so for Muslims. Muslims have to go through a process of applying and saying they no longer want to be ruled in any realm of their life by Islamic law, which uh, is really viewed as a betrayal by most people, so not viewed as a viable option by most people, uh, whereas Jews in one fell swoop in 1870 move from, from that kind of an arrangement into uh, full citizenship. Uh, so, you know, Algeria becomes this space where all of the questions of modern French history in terms of how do you make a democracy uh, in a space where you've also got an empire, how do you figure out how to, you know, get diverse populations to live together, uh, is that really what the state is trying to do when it claims that it's trying to do that? Um, all those issues come together in Algeria, and then... Almost all the Jews come from Algeria to France proper in 1961 to 62. That's about 130,000 out of 140,000. And then, which is a big you know, part of yeah. the population of Jews in, in France in general are, are sure. formerly Algerian Jews. Yep. Yep. And then, you know, already starting in 1914 and until 1970, you had, you know, 80 some percent of the Muslims in France coming from Algeria. So this space just, it looms very large throughout this story, and France is still, you know, France had a big uh, 
uh, reports last year ordered by the president uh, on Franco-Algerian relations, a, a kind of coming-to-terms report was the idea. Um, and that tells you something, because that was 60 years uh, almost after independence uh, that France is still struggling to really come to terms with its past in Algeria, with the brutal war with Algeria. There was, there was torture. There were all kinds of atrocities uh, during that war. Um, and so, you know, it continues to have a very large shadow uh, in France up to the present day. One of the things I found most interesting in your book was around the history of the Jewish and Muslim communities in Algeria uh, in the early part of, of it being a, a French colony in the 19th century. And even before, you have centuries of peaceful coexistence and a lot of trade and living in the same neighborhoods, a cooperation in civil society and governance, etc. And then... Yeah, I think it was 1870 or something. You talked about how the the Jews are granted citizenship in the Fran- French citizenship, um, being in Algeria, and and the Muslims in Algeria are not. And so you kind of have, in a sense, a French state like dividing um, the 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 group. And so the role of the of the French state, in a sense, um, exacerbating Jewish Muslim tensions was 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 fascinating. Is that is that a fair simplified view? <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I, I think that it, it's substantially fair. I mean, I, in the book, I talk a lot about a triangle of relations, right? We think of just Jews and Muslims, but we can't understand their relationship in uh, France or the French orbit without this third party. France, the French state and its policies, notions about what it means to be French, and Jews and Muslims are always being shaped by those in relation to each other, and they're always seeing each other through those lenses. We could probably find triangles in the American context also, in the American state and its policies and notions of American citizenship would also loom large, uh, and they might help to account for some of the differences uh, in relations. Um, but, you know, to, to go back to France, you know, the, the policies that you refer to, they are kind of classic divide and rule policies in a colonial context of elevating a certain part of the population to be loyal uh, and then using that to continue to rule in an unequal way over a larger segment of the native population. Okay, so, uh, sorry if you interrupt. So all these Algerian <laughs> Jews and Muslims get transplanted by their, you know, their own volition to France, uh, in this, in this like post, post-war period. And you, and then you've got commingling in neighborhoods. We, we promise to get to this card game. What you, you do a wonderful job in your book and talking about broad swaths of history, but then also zeroing in on neighborhoods and human relationships. Take us to now a little bit closer to the present day, 1968, right after the Six Day War. Is a, now you've got uh, Arab-Israeli relations um, have become a, a hot button globally, and the face of Muslim-Jewish relations changes. What 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 happens in that neighborhood? I think it was Belleville. Yeah, it's Belleville. Yeah, so. Um Thank you for all the nice words about the book, and, and I'm impressed that you found time to, to read a lot of it. Um, you know, so in 1968, it is literally almost exactly one year after the start of the Six-Day War, the June 1967 war uh, between Israel and its Arab neighbors that really transforms the Middle East in many ways. Um, and around that time, there, you know, there's a Jew and a Muslim playing cards in a cafe, not an unusual thing, a very common thing in this neighborhood, in other neighborhoods, in neighborhoods in North Africa, historically. Uh, but it seems that, you know, the Muslim player lost the bet. 
there was a dispute. He didn't want to pay the winnings. And then before you know it, there's a tussle. And before you know it, shop windows are broken. There's violence that breaks out. Uh, and so what I try to do there is to puzzle out how does this card game become a riot? Because, right, it's a riot that evening. There are uh, large numbers of Jewish and Muslim shops that are damaged. There are and several Professor, pardon the interruption, but for listeners' sure. edification, this is the first Muslim Jewish violence and riot, urban riot in the Western world. I mean, it's happened a number of times since, but isn't, I think this is the first one in modern history and outside of, outside of Israel in, in, in the, in the, in the Western democracies. Um, Yes. So, right. So, right. So not talking about like North Africa, for instance, Um, I I think that that is accurate as an actual violent altercation. There had been previous tense meetings and things like that in France that I talk about. But yes, that I, I actually never quite uh, framed it that way. And and that's very interesting. I think uh, you're exactly right. Uh, And of course, it's between, uh, you know, an Algerian uh, or, or sorry, a Tunisian Muslim and a Tunisian Jew. Um, and that's because there are a lot of Tunisian Jews and Muslims in this neighborhood, Belleville, where they live together pretty amicably in large numbers. But clearly there's things that are going on under the surface with loyalties in the Arab-Israeli conflict, hardening with socioeconomic differences, becoming more pronounced uh, with the fact that this is a moment of Great social upheaval and social protest in France already, uh, creating uh, tensions for both groups uh, and with changing French foreign policy after the 1967 war, moving away from staunch support for Israel to a more pro-Arab uh, position. Um, all these factors are kind of, they bubble up uh, with this violence, the violence that continues the next day uh, around midday, and it is only really quelled by the Tunisian uh, ambassador, a Muslim, uh, and the rabbi in the neighborhood walking around together and holding hands, you know, asking people to take a breath. And this sort of demonstration seems to restore calm, uh, but there's been a lot of property damage and a number of people injured. And the sort of ethos of the neighborhood feels broken, although it's important to note that in some ways this was, you know, a, a parenthesis in the sense that the neighborhood did not collapse then. It, it right. went back to functioning pretty well, although there were there were further, further tensions in years to come. We're going to need to take another break, Professor. But as I was reading that passage of the book, I, I was struck by how it felt like it, that was like an imprinted moment in history in general. I mean, I was thinking about what was going on in the United States at that time. You had the anti-Vietnam uh, protests and so forth. And yet, what, what happened... That day, that evening and day in Belleville kind of sets a tone for decades long tension and ultimately acts of terrorism as well. We're going to get back to that after our next break and bring us closer to the present day. We're talking about Jewish and Muslim relations in France, a cauldron of conflict, but also brotherhood. We'll be right back. Equal Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. 
With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. You're back on Equal Footing. I'm Dove Tuzman. I'm here with Professor Ethan Katz, who's a professor of history at the University of California, Berkeley. We're talking about Jewish-Muslim relationships and relations in France. We have a longtime and loyal listener, Professor, wrote over the break. I know you're interested in history, but I want to know about the present. <laughs> okay, so let's get it up to the present. Thank you, listener. Uh, all right, so almost we're almost at the present. We think in the United States everything changes. There's the mantra of everything changed, 9-11. Some people would agree. Some people would disagree. In in France, that date is is January of 2015, a couple of events between the 7th and 9th of January 2015. What happens in France and how does that, how does that reflect present-day reality of Jewish-Muslim relationships, relations in France? Right. So you're referring, of course, to the attacks um, at the satirical magazine Charlie Hebdo, um, and then two days later, at the kosher supermarket, Iper Kashel, uh, by the same small group of terrorists, Muslim terrorists, um, the attacks at Charlie Hebdo, in which I believe 12 journalists were murdered, uh, and then- and Charlie Hebdo is like a political satir- satirical publication that was, uh, kind of had caricatures, presumably making fun of, of, um, of Muslim characters. Yes, right. So, right. They had had cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad, which had uh, engendered very strong objections from many Muslims. Um, and this was given, you know, as the reason by the attackers. Um, important to point out that no matter how offended they may have been, the vast majority of Muslims in uh, France did not condone and frequently condemned uh, these acts of violence. Um, but then two days later, this became, you know, an episode that was unquestionably uh, linked to uh, not just, you know, Muslim-French relations or, you know, maybe having vague tinges of relations to uh, tensions with Jews, but actual attack on Jews because uh, Jews were taken hostage for hours in a kosher supermarket on a Friday afternoon, uh, and four of them were murdered, and many more probably would have died uh, if not for the fact that actually uh, – a Malian uh, Muslim man uh, hid a number of them inside uh, a uh, cooler, a refrigerator, uh, for a lot of his time, and was was lauded as a hero af- afterwards um, for good reason. Uh, so, you know, this this was regarded by many people kind of right away as Francis 9/11. Uh, it also really ushered in a period of newfound violence. Uh, on the part of Muslim extremists in France. Not that it was unprecedented before this time, uh, but, you know, if, if we look, you know, from 2015, then we had the attack at the Bataclan, then we had the attack, the 
uh, truck attack in Nice. We had several really horrific uh, acts of uh, Muslim violence in France in 2015 and 2016, especially um, that really rocked uh, the French population and um, you know felt like a new era. Yeah, there's a Europol study from uh, 2022. There were something on the order of 80 different attacks in in uh, attacks, violent attacks, Islamic uh, terrorist attacks in France, uh, not only against Jewish citizens, against the French state and and Jewish citizens. Um, just since since 2014, quadruple the number of the United States, a country that is more than four times the size of France. So we're feeling that aftermath today. You know, yep. I said at the outset of the, of the program, Professor, that I, I've had a home in, in France for almost 15 years, um, spending the Yom Tov period, the new year um, in France. And and I often have um, friends, we, I learned before the program that you and I both on a daily basis wear a kippah. I, I don't like titles. I'm not sure how you feel about it, but I guess modern orthodox would probably be the closest to, um, affiliation that we both uh would both um, feel comfortable with, and and often I don't know if you'll you've spent a lot of time in France. I'll have um, friends, you know, worry for my safety if I'm going to France, or or wonder if I don't wear my kippah in France. And I think correctly feel that in certain contexts it can feel more dangerous than doing so in the United States. But maybe because I'm a slightly darker skinned Jewish person, I don't really feel that way in France. I I, I often feel the opposite. I often feel more comfortable. Um, even in places like uh, Nice, for example, where there have been these Islamic attacks. So it's it's a mixed bag, and I'm wondering how you feel about that. And you're, I'm just talking about your personal experience, not necessarily as a as a history professor, but as a modern Orthodox Jewish person spending time in, in France. Do you feel like there's more tension at the micro level between the Jewish and Muslim communities in France and the United States? Um or, or do you, or you feel that's that's um, it's a stereotype that that merits challenging? No, I, I think there is more tension now. I wear a kippa a lot when I'm there, and I don't have any Mizrahi heritage, at least not that's known of. Um, so I look, you know, like you know, the whitest guy on the planet. Um, so, and I've really never felt. Uh, uncomfortable. There have been places I've gone where I haven't worn, or I wear a, wear a baseball cap, um, for sure. But um, but I think that you do feel the tension uh, a lot of times. I think the geography, not just the size, but the relative geography to the Middle East is important. You're not that far from Israel, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. You know, you're you're a short plane ride away. You're just across the Mediterranean. You have a lot of Jews now going back and forth a great deal between France and Israel. Um, and so I think that's a little bit part of it. But, um, yeah, the, the fact of the matter is that both Jews and Muslims in France, in different ways, feel their position is tenuous oftentimes. They feel nervous about anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. And they feel vulnerable in different ways in far greater numbers than in the United States. And I think that's part of what feeds the kind of visceral sense of tension. You know, I'm going to read a listener's comment here because I think it's uh, very apropos to this part of the discussion. This listener says, you're missing the point. The ADL, that's the Anti-Defamation League, the ADL has made it clear in recent years that the biggest source of anti-Semitism in the United States is xenophobia 
not related to the Muslim population. Whereas in France, it's the Muslim population that carries the flag of anti-Semitism. Now, there is the National Front in in France. It's often uh, brushed with very anti-Semitic language since it's founding in the early 1970s. But is this listener right? Do you, do you think that part of what's going on here is that there's greater anti-Semitism perhaps in France, but specifically from maybe if there's not maybe if there's not more anti-Semitism, it's specifically from the Muslim community. Whereas in the U.S., anti-Semitism is generally coming from pockets that are that are not Muslim. Well, numerically, the listener is right for sure. First of all, there's more. Pro- Surveys show greater numbers of people in France with anti-Semitic stereotypes than in the United States. Um, by far, the two segments that show the highest incidence are people who identify with the far right, uh, frequently with the Front National, uh, and Muslims. Um, so that's true. And there was a time not that long ago when it was still the case that most anti-Semitic acts in France were coming from the far right. That has not been true for a while now. The ones that we can document where they come from now, a majority of those come from Muslims. And and the listeners also write that most anti-Semitic acts in the United States are coming from our equivalent of the sure. far right. Yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah, not the Muslim absolutely. community. Correct. That's absolutely true. Um, yes. So, I mean, I, th- those things are all those things are all true. Um, I, I think that you have to get beyond those facts it, to kind of greater contexts. Um, in the French case, I think the socioeconomic differences are a huge factor. The way that the um, Israeli-Palestinian conflict has been instrumentalized politically, uh, and therefore uh, Jews come to stand in for, in some ways, all of the of the vulnerabilities that are very real for Muslims in France. For for a certain number of Muslims, Jews come to stand in for those. Um, but you know, France is a country with a much higher incidence broadly of stereotypes about Jews, and it is important to register the difference between someone who doesn't like a certain group and someone who's ready to do violence or commit murder against that group. And I'll just give a quick illustration. Right, We have these numbers. These were from about 2015. They're the very, I discussed them at the very end of my book, um, where we had 50-some percent of Muslims in France uh, embracing uh, negative stereotypes about Jews. We had another study wow. where people were asked, do you care? Do you have any opposition to having a Jewish neighbor? More than 9 out of 10 Muslims say no. Do you speak frequently about Jews? More than 9 out of 10 Muslims say no. I point that out because there are lots of things we don't like that we don't become obsessed about or decide we're going to do something violent about. And so it's just important to keep in mind there's a spectrum of you know meanings and there's a long history of anti-Semitism in France from the larger population. Yeah, a couple of listeners have made that point. Sorry for the interruption. One who's listening in France, who, who's who's wanted us to quote um, De Gaulle, there are a number of De Gaulle quotes. One our producer actually uh, gave to me before the the uh, the program. This is arguably French. The 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 the, the France is like 
um, I don't know, national hero, certainly one of them, Charles de Gaulle, yep. who is a French yep. president, who said Jews remain what they have been at all times, an elite people, self-confident and domineering. So there's kind of an institutional anti-Semitism in France that that is more undercover in the United in, in U.S. history than it is institutionally endorsed. And of course, there's the the the, the horrible history of Vichy France, the, the the puppet government that was, of course, helping exterminate Jews in World War II. Yes, but of course, France was also the first country in Western Europe to emancipate its Jews during the French Revolution. It's a country that has had five prime ministers of Jewish descent, which is pretty remarkable. Um, and, you know, it's a country that when the Dreyfus affair erupts in the late 19th century, uh, it's a terrible uh, episode of anti-Semitism. And it's a, it goes on for quite a long time, but it happens because you had this man who was able to rise to the highest ranks of the French military, something that would have not been possible for Jews in almost any other country. So it's a very uh, mixed history for sure. The de Gaulle quote, I just have to give the context, not at all to uh, excuse or defend the quote, but just because it's important to understanding. That was actually the moment when de Gaulle signaled this big shift in French foreign policy in the Middle East. He was asked a question, it was in November of 1967, in a press conference about what he thought about the recent events in the Middle East, and he said more fully, when the Jews returned to their ancient land, many people feared that they would become once again what they had always been, an elite people sure of itself wow. and domineering. Um, so this was a famous out of context quote. Thank you. No, but this was greeted with a, a howl of anger and shock and a sense of betrayal by French Jews to be sure. And for very understandable reasons. Yeah. So we're going to take our last break. Uh, there is another listener. I'd like to reflect on this over, over the break. Uh, there are a number of listeners have ri- have written in comments and questions about integration. Um, and so I'm going to kind of condense those points that, Basically, the issue in France is the Jewish community has integrated into French society and the Muslim community has chose to not assimilate. It's as simple as that, one listener writes. We'll hear your opinion, Professor Katz, after the break, talking about Jewish-Muslim relations in the, in, what's the, what's the right name for France? The Republic of France? In the Republic. The Republic of France. We'll be right back. On equal footing, we try to address difficult topics with civility and an open mind. Manhattan Medical is doing the same thing. Erectile dysfunction can be emotionally painful. It can be challenging to a couple's well-being. It's not something to be embarrassed about, put under the rug. Address erectile dysfunction. Manhattan Medical utilizes a new effective therapy that does not involve those expensive blue pills that many cannot take due to comorbidities. Manhattan Medical's approach to ED is called Gaines Wave. This is a therapy that's achieved excellent results in Europe and in Canada for many years. It is now available in the United States. With Manhattan Medical's Gaines Wave therapy for erectile dysfunction, there are no side effects. For the vast majority of patients, there are wonderful and enduring results, even for people over 80. Call for a free consultation. You get a free consultation with Manhattan Medical for its Gaines Wave therapy for erectile dysfunction only if you mention that you heard about it 
on the Equal Footing radio show. That's a $250 value. And you don't have to be in Manhattan. You don't have to be in New York. Anywhere in the United States, you can get a teleconsult on the Gaines Wave Therapy at Manhattan Medical for Erectile Dysfunction. Call. Call now. Write down the number. 888-ED-CURE-9. In numbers, that's 888-332-8739. 888-332-8739 from Manhattan Medical's Gaines Wave Therapy for erectile dysfunction. Call now. I've been Professor Katz, we are back on with you talking about the complexities of Jewish-Muslim relations in France. What do you think about that, listeners? A number of listeners wrote saying similar things, but it's as simple as that. The Jewish community in France integrates into society. The Muslim community chooses not to assimilate. Well, I, you know, in some ways I wish it were as simple as that. Um, it would make... It would make analyzing the problems a lot easier. Uh, with no disrespect to your listeners, I'm afraid that's a little bit like saying in the late 1960s, the African-American community has chosen to live in areas that we call ghettos where there's lots of crime and poverty. It's as simple as that, right? Um, the fact of the matter is uh, the integration problem in France and in Europe more broadly for Muslims, it's a complicated problem. And it does involve choices on the part of a certain number of Muslim immigrants, and it involves uh, questions about leadership in the community. But if we're going to talk very honestly about the contrast between Jews and Muslims in France, we have to home in on particular historical facts and a particular historical moment. First of all, these people came in large numbers from a context that was, until the very end of the colonial era, very unequal. As I said before, most of the Jews in Algeria were French citizens. Most of the Muslims were not. That changes in 1958 with the constitution of the Fifth French Republic, but it ends up changing very briefly because in the course of the migrations in 61 to 62, the Jews are successful in ensuring that they can keep their French citizenship when they come to France, and they get all the benefits of being so-called rapatriés, repatriated French citizens, benefits of social welfare, education, housing, all these kinds of things. Muslims mostly lose their French citizenship when they're coming from Algeria in the same historical moment, and they're not classified the same way. So a group that already had much lower rates of education, much lower rates of literacy, much much lower rates of skills in different professions, they have this big disadvantage that emerges at that moment of migration. So we can't just pretend that that's not there, um, and, and we still see all kinds of studies that show you know, racism in the employment sector, in uh, police practices toward uh, Muslims in France. Uh, so it's just, it's more complicated. And, yeah, and we, we had a, there's a flip side to that coin, which is the, the, also the acceptance of the immigrant and, and socioeconomic mobility, upward mobility. We did a show last year, or maybe it was two years ago, professor, on the immigrant experience in the U.S. versus Europe. And one stat remained with me, uh, very, very strongly, which is if you are, a first-generation immigrant into the United States from any background, you have about a 1 in 10,000 chance that your child will be the CEO of an important kind. I don't remember what the threshold was, but of a large organization of some kind. In continental Europe, the same situation, the chance was like 1 in a million. 
So it's it, the real the, the social no. the, the the mobility the sense of if the country's not accept it may accept the border may be open to you, but if you're not accepted into the the ranks of the into certain areas of the workforce, if you're not given certain ed- educational opportunities, that marginalization is not just self chosen. It may not be self chosen at all. It's imposed. It's so it's anyway. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to pontificate, but it's obviously a complex. No, no, no. Um, yeah. I mean, look, there's no question that you know. Different communities are also making choices, and they're making choices about how to respond to, um, you know, the pressures of becoming citizens and other kinds of pressures uh, from certain sectors of the Islamic community and, and often from um, Muslim clerics who come from overseas. So it can't all be put uh, at the foot of the French state or certain, uh, you know, very uh, significant structures in French society, but those things should not be discounted because they're an enormous factor. There's a, a listener, a, a listener often calls in this time. He sent in a, a question, I guess, uh, Stan from New York uh, asks you, professor, there's a high, I guess a statement of a question. There's a high chance of the right wing party winning the elections in France. How will that affect the Muslim and Jewish community? Well, um, I mean, it depends on, you know, depends on what what we're talking about in terms of numbers in the parliament, lots of different factors. I mean, generally speaking, uh, it won't be uh, probably won't be good. Um, that is to say, if the right wing parties are successful in France, uh, they will be successful in part through a message about the dangers of foreigners and dangers of foreigners in France since the 1980s have generally been coded for dangers of Arab or Muslim foreigners for the most part. Um, so it's not good uh, when that kind of political strategy is working. Um, it's a strategy that already has divided the Jewish community's vote in France more than it once was, and some parallels to uh, shifting voting patterns in the Jewish community in the United States. Um, so, you know, the, the left in France has not been effective for the most part in uh integrating Muslims more, uh, but at the same time, they have often tried to push a more tolerant ethos in certain kinds of uh, democratizing reforms. Um, so I think that when Muslims in France are more integrated, and there are signs of growing numbers who are, that's when tensions are lower between Muslims and Jews, because so much of the hostility toward Jews on the part of certain Muslims in France, is a hostility that basically associates Jews with French power, associates the Israeli state with policies of the French state, um, and that really comes out of a position of vulnerability. Two really quick questions from listeners, to, and then let's then let's wrap up. Uh, the one listener who is a uh, French Tunisian uh, writes that we're mixing up earlier immigration and more recent immigration from Muslim countries, and that a lot of the tension is coming from the most recent wave of immigration since the year 2000. Is this, is this correct? Are previous generations more integrated with less tension, despite what we talked about that infamous card game in the late 1960s, et cetera? Yes. So I think that's, um, that is substantially true. Um, personally, I just, you know, uh, parenthetically have a very soft spot for, uh, Tunisian Jews in France, having uh, lived with a family uh, of Tunisian Jews in France, who I remain close to uh, 20 years uh, later, um, I, you know, and, and, and it's interesting to see their own perspectives shift. With 
the Algerian civil war in the 1990s and early 2000s, uh, there was a significant spillover of very volatile politics there into France and significant numbers of immigrants also. And I do think that that's a population that um, has in some ways really been more politicized and more stuck without a sense of home anywhere uh, and therefore also more vulnerable to extremist ideologies that have taken hold in certain sectors of the community. Yeah, we have a listener, Sarah in Manhattan, the last question here, who's asked about other immigrant communities in France from Africa and whether they hold the same or lesser anti-Semitic views than the Muslim immigrants coming into France from North Africa. Right. Uh, so the other large number of immigrants, which still is smaller, would be black Africans um, from places like Senegal. That's the there's a, this listener is asking about. Yeah, there is a significant number of Muslims among that population. Um, by and large, black Africans have been they've been more warmly welcomed in France over a long period of time. Uh, but it is also the case that there has been more radicalization uh, of a small segment of Muslims from black Africa as well, you know, in the past 20 years. Uh, the 2006 horrific kidnapping and murder of Ilan Halimi was carried out by a group that called itself the Gang of Barbarians. And it was a mix, uh, in significant part, of North African and Black African Muslims. Uh, its leader was a Black African uh, Muslim from, I believe, uh, the Ivory Coast. And so there has, you know, there's been more tension with that segment of the community in recent years than there had been previously. We're going to run out of time. It's it's a fascinating topic because we think in the United States often in the Jewish community here that we're at the center of uh, Jewish-Muslim tension outside of Israel. Probably the statistics don't bear that out, guys. Uh, for, if you're living in France, you're probably more likely, more likely to be at the center of that tension outside of, of course, uh, Israel. Professor Ethan Katz, thank you so much for joining us. Wrap us up by giving us, if, if we, if you could go into a time machine and you look forward, let's say 10, let's say even 20 years, do we have greater or lesser, uh, tensions between the Jewish and Muslim communities in France? Does this abate or does it get worse? Over the, over wow. a couple, over a generation, not over the just next couple of years. Yeah. I mean, historians are notoriously bad prophets, which is what I always preface any predictions with. Um, but, you know, look, the promising signs are that there are more and more Muslims in France who are upwardly mobile and that most studies show that the second generation of immigrant Muslims in France parallels in most areas other second-generation immigrants in terms of moving more toward wider uh, French practices. Um, the persistence of the Middle East conflict, which shows no signs of abating, is a huge concern. I think you're going to have a, an even larger segment of the French Jewish community that moves regularly between France and Israel and sort of lives in two worlds, uh, and that's going to be quite challenging. Um, I think you are going to also have Perhaps paradoxically, at once a larger segment of the Muslim community that is integrated and that can have peaceful relations with well, Jews I, and, and I, others, I and, and 
and also a rise potentially of extremism in certain pockets. You well, can have both. I ways. hope it goes the good direction. <laughs> Professor Katz, thank you for joining us. We're going to run out of time. Haksameach, Shanatova, Metukata, all uh, listeners who will be on next week in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. We'll catch you next time. Professor, I hope to have you back on. La vie est belle et cruelle à la fois. Elle nous ressemble parfois. Moi, je suis né pour n'être qu'avec toi. La vie est belle, aussi belle que toi. Elle te ressemble parfois. Moi, je suis né pour n'être qu'avec toi.